us today. Uh, Betty Livingston, this is Liz Jackson's sister, is now on hospice care. Uh, Betty and her family are asking that we remember them in our prayers. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. We come together to worship the Lord. Uh, and let us begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for the many blessings that you give us every day. And today we especially pray for Betty Livingston, that you will be with her as she enters into this hospice care. We pray that the things that she needs will be provided for her. Father, as we enter into our worship today, help us to worship you and put aside the cares of this world. Be with us and help us to always do what's right in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First song this morning before our opening prayer will be 895. 895. You may have to use our books. We don't know if we're going to have it on the screen or not. 895. Ready? I'd like to live in Sanger longer than there's a white Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins. Father, we ask that you be with us the rest of this day and through life's journey. And Father, we ask that you be with the ones that have mentioned being sick. Be with them and be with the ones taking care of their needs. And Father, we ask that you be with our military as they protect us and we, we honor them. Father, we pray that you will be with the ones that have lost loved ones. Be with them and comfort them as only you can. Now, Father, we ask to be with Ken this morning as he brings the lesson to us. Help him to have a ready recollection of the things he studied. And, Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and be with us and guide, guard, and direct us. In Christ's name, amen. Before our lesson and open script, our scripture, number 480, Blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Praising my soul, praising my soul. 
Number 904, have you been to Jesus with the song of encouragement? Number 904. Scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 13, 6 through 9. Luke 13, 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look for... Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, say, saying, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it, it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Good morning, everybody. It is terrific to see you. Hope you had a wonderful week. And now you're beginning a new week. I hope you're enthusiastic about what is ahead of you. Well, you probably either got the information over a text or on the phone, or maybe you saw it on Facebook or some other means, maybe just word of mouth. but. The elders have decided that we're going to be reinstating our Bible classes. So tonight, we look forward to being together at 5 p.m. This particular gathering, we're actually all going to meet in here, both the Annex class and the Auditorium class, in order to hear a report from one of our missionaries, Barry Smith, who works in Uganda. And we're excited to hear his report and the good work that he's doing. So that will be our, our first reconvening, coming to hear about a mission work. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. And then on Wednesday evening, we will come back together uh, as, as usual. I'm, I'm just thrilled that that is the course we're taking. Still taking precautions, of course. And, you know, if you 
are here and you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, then please wear the mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, then don't look funny at the other person, okay? They're trying to take best precautions for their health as they can. We'll wait while someone takes that phone call. No, we won't. We're just going to be rude as can be and go right on. Uh, also, you know, if, if you have symptoms of the virus, you know, please don't think, well, I'll just go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show how tough I am and endure. Please don't do that. Uh, apparently, this particular strain of the virus is super infectious. And as much as we love you and would want to console and encourage you in your moment of weakness, please stay home and let us do it from that vantage point. We want to keep people as safe as possible. But this is our time, what we're dealing with, and we're going to do the very best that we can to manage that. And thank you. Thank you for your patience and understanding and all of that. You've been just terrific. Today we're going to examine this text here, a parable of our Lord that has in it some challenges. Now, I'm going to tell you something as regards challenges. I once had a brother who came to me in my office. He said, now, Ken, if you ever see me step out of line or say something or do something in my life that is not Christ-like or is not in accordance with the scriptures, please tell me. I thought, okay. Now I'm going to multiply that responsibility by how many ever members there are here, right? I'm going to become the overseer and policeman of everybody here. And if I think that you are stepping out of line, that's going to be my job. And in order to get you walking right, that'll be my job too. I will take you individually and put you in the right place and keep you there. I can't do that. My work is to preach the truth to you. And then in large part, I depend on you to make the application of that word. I depend on you as the Lord does to make the choice to walk right in his sight. You will be responsible for what happens to you beyond this life. Do I want to help? I do. And I want to present lessons that will help you to achieve that. But I can't, I cannot do it for you. So this is one of those kinds of texts. I don't know if you are complacent or apathetic or unfruitful. Only you know that. So as we consider the text, hey, do me a favor. You make the application. You make the changes that you need to make. Okay? Nod your head this way. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this first day of the week. The very first day. Our first step into a new week. Lord, we know it's just relegated by a calendar, but in our minds it does indicate something new. So, Lord, as we're launching into a new week, one that we've never lived before, I pray that we'll do so very well equipped and conscious of our responsibility to you. Whatever is behind us, I pray, Father, that it truly will be behind us and that there isn't anything that's hanging on that's going to ruin the week that's ahead of us. I pray, Father, that if there are things amiss in our lives, we will take responsibility for that and we'll change it. We'll depend on you because your word is the truth. And Lord, I pray today as we receive the warnings of this text that you will instill in us a determination to get involved, 
to care about what's happening, to bear fruit. Thank you for the warning. And I just pray we will all heed it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the text that was read for us actually, originally, was directed toward the children of Israel as a nation. They were facing impending doom. They had grown complacent, apathetic, unfruitful. They would eventually turn away from the Son of God who came to save them. What applied to them? We read and we may point fingers and we can talk about how that was fulfilled. But the fact is that as much as that is a specific historical revelation for them, so too, now that much of that's come to pass, the components of this parable and the warnings that are inherent in it are also so very applicable to you and me. He talks about using up or wasting the ground in this text. To use up means to be weighed down, to be burdened, and then that word, to waste. Taking up ground that's valuable, using it up, but bearing no fruit as a result. No good coming out of the expense and effort and toil, labor that's being put forth. That's, that's the idea, to waste, to use up. I remember the day I came up out of the watery grave of baptism, and I would encourage you to go back to that day too. And all that was a part of that day, the excitement, knowing that you were going to have your sins washed away, you had come to know and believe, accept, confess the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. You turned your life around because of that. All those things are exciting. Again, think about a new start. I mean, this is the ultimate fresh start, a rebirth. When you came up out of that watery grave, there was not only all kinds of hope and expectation in your own mind and heart, but, you know, God seeing and affording you that transformation was in great expectation of new things out of you. And maybe when you came out of that grave of baptism, that's exactly what happened. You became very evangelistic or you dove into the work of the local church. However that manifested itself as a new babe in Christ, you probably made mistakes, but there were nurturing Christians there, helped you along the way and helped you to grow. Sadly, many people who begin that way trip up. They get discouraged. They lose their hope. Maybe it's at the hands of other Christians. Maybe their zeal had waned and it just rubs off on them too. Or, or maybe it is like that sheep that gets loose from the flock and you find yourself alone in your work circumstances or in your home situation and Satan takes advantage and he weakens you to the extent that you know you still have a mind for the things of God, but that zeal that you once had it really has waned. You are not as effective. You're not as committed as you once had been. This text right here reminds us of what we have when we become a child of God. And also reminds us of what we can lose when we become complacent, and apathetic, and unfruitful. Is the place where you are planted better or worse because of your having been planted there? Are you using up? Are you wasting the ground? 
We waste the ground by being complacent. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. So the fig tree is planted in the vineyard of all places, a place where it can receive incredible attention and just the right nourishment. It's special in that environment. Every expectation ought to be met for that fig tree. I mean, there's really no excuse for it to flourish and bear exceedingly good fruit. That's our situation in the church. You as a member of the body of Jesus Christ have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Everything that God could set up in order to benefit you in your Christian walk is there and available. Just, just think, for instance, about what we have in the church. You talk about an environment that, that prompts continued growth and development. All of us are encouraged because we are members of the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We're considering each other, not just ourselves, but in that body we have the benefit of everybody else going and cheering us on. They're there to support and encourage. What a beautiful environment. Or think a little bit later in the same book, Hebrews chapter 13 at verse 1, let brotherly love continue. You know, as we enjoy the encouragement, the benefit of associating with one another, we also know that our brothers and sisters love us. And so we continue in that. That is just, that's something that we are swimming in, in the body of Jesus Christ. Just, just the feeling of brotherly love and compassion we're in it together. Or Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To so love your neighbor as yourself, I'm telling you in the body of Christ, that is number one. I care for you as much or I prefer you even above myself. Man, we care so much for one another. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. We've broken that text down together before, and just one of the essential components is that it's like in this relationship of love for one another, I'm trying to lift you up while simultaneously you're trying to lift me up and we're all lifting one another up. And I've said on more than one occasion, the idea of just lifting one another up all the way to heaven. You and I, we are encouraged and built up as we have been planted right here in the church. But you know, we're also a part of a team. Now I know, I know when I was a, a kid, Sometimes I'd be there, maybe we had a pickup ball game of some sort, and I remember times when I might be the last or one of the last ones picked. Or maybe there were an odd number of people. You know how that feels when you're the one left out. You didn't make the team. Or you're in school and you're very excited. You have honed your skills. You tried out for the team. You went to go see the posted list and, oh no, you, you didn't make the team. That is not something that we experience in Jesus Christ. Everyone who obeys the gospel, not on the basis of popularity or friendship with other folks, but simply based on our relationship with the Lord, the Lord adds us to the church himself. Acts 2, verse 47. So we're a part of the team. The Lord put us on that team. And I, I think about Paul's attitude about it because I love the way he describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. We're all different, but we're still a part of the team. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. You're God's field, you're God's building. Each one of us is going to receive the reward according to what we've done. Not according to what anybody else has done. We, we can't either lean on the accomplishments of someone else, nor can someone else take away from what we do. We all stand on our own efforts for the Lord. But at the same time, understanding that all of us doing our part are blended together as workers together with God. We are on the same team. So, please, Boonville Church, do not ever become complacent. To be complacent means to be settled or to be satisfied. We're good. We're fine. We don't need to make any changes. We don't need to grow. We're happy where we are right now. Complacent. Don't become complacent. In James chapter 1, at verse 22, James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The deceit is thinking that if I hear it and I believe it, I'm good. It is a deception to think that I'm not expected to do something. Listen to it again. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It is not enough to hear it. It is not enough just simply to say, yeah, I get it and I agree with it. What's required is to get it, agree with it, and then do something about it. A couple of examples in Scripture came to mind when I thought about complacency and our responsibility not to be settled, not to be satisfied, but to do something. One of those is from Matthew chapter 25, and I'm just looking at verses 25 and 26. This is the story that Jesus tells about the men who received the talents. But we come down to the singular observation that Jesus makes about the whole thing. And it circles around this guy who had the one talent. The one thing that he was given to do. He felt like it was well within his rights just simply to preserve it. You know, don't go out there and kind of waste it. Maybe I could lose it, I'd have nothing. I know the Lord will understand, since I only have this one talent, that I'd just go and bury it in the ground. Just preserve it. I'll be satisfied. It's okay. Just keep the status quo. I'm holding what I've got. Well, here was Jesus' comment about that. You wicked and slothful servant. Now, wickedness typically indicates some kind of action that results in the wickedness. But in this case, the action is inaction. Because you did nothing with it, you demonstrate wickedness. And you are slothful. That is, you had the ability, you had the capacity, not just to hear, but to hear and to do. And you did nothing. Nothing but condemnation. Jesus to the servant. A another one that came to mind, though a slightly different perspective, is what you find in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. Now that's the whole story about that rich fool. You know, had lots of stuff. That wasn't good enough. He tore down the barns that he had to build bigger barns and to gather more stuff. And here's Jesus' condemnation to him. The problem with him was that he stored up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. Now that's a different slant on the same story. 
You say, I am busy. I am doing things. Yeah, but to whose glory and honor? Just because we're busy does not mean that we are beyond the condition of complacency. Maybe truly we are complacent and settled in our relationship with the Lord, but, you know, we got a gig on the side going right here. Maybe we've become more interested in what we can do for ourselves, and we've put the things of God on hold. I've heard lots of people say, when I retire... I am going to spend a lot of my time in the work of the church when I retire. Well, I've seen a lot of people who said that, that once they retired, either they had continued working so long that they really were no longer effective physically for doing works that they once were very capable of doing, or it is that they retire, and as the old saying goes, I'm busier now than I've ever been. You know, and typically that's because they're doing things they want to do. I always wanted to go fishing. I always wanted to travel. I always wanted to fill in the blank. It really has nothing to do with the continuing aspect of my service to the Lord. What I had pledged to do, I am not doing because I'm, I am complacent. I'm satisfied where I am. Please, church, do not become complacent, settled, satisfied. We also use up or waste the ground by being apathetic. Then said he to the keeper of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up or waste the ground? And he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well. But if not, then after that, you can cut it down. The fig tree had not produced fruit for three years. Well within the range of time that it should have produced something, but there was nothing. And year after year, the owner comes seeking fruit and finds nothing. And he's frustrated. And it's like, look, if this tree with all of its benefits is just going to waste and use up resources, I'd rather cut that thing down and plant something in its place that will bring forth fruit. I'm tired of waiting. Apathy. Now that's the condition where I, I just don't care. I just don't care about it. Well, you may not care about it, but I'll tell you somebody who does care about it. That's the Lord. And that's what's so beautiful about what happens in the story is that even though the tree is now due to be cut down, Let's wait. Let's wait one more year. Let's give it one more opportunity. One more. There, that very much reflects our God, who is in expectation of great things from us, but boy, he'll wait. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Or Romans 2, verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's like, we both know, right? It's not my job. I, 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 am, I am not going to follow you around to find out if, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, if you're putting into action what you know is right. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. But you know, and the Lord knows. And the Lord knows, and the Lord says, you know what, you aren't, you aren't right now, but I'm expecting that when you know to do better, you will do better. And so, in anticipation that you will just fill my heart with, with divine joy, I'm going to wait. But I will not wait forever. 
2 Peter chapter 3, if you go back to verse 3, it says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly, willingly ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded by water. So there is good old Noah, and he is preaching. He's preaching about the end of the world, so far as they knew it. There is going to be a universal flood, and if you aren't in this ark that I'm constructing by the instruction of God, then you're going to perish. Many scholars believe that he preached that message for over 120 years, and people sat there going, there goes Noah again, blah, 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 blah. On and on and on he goes. There he goes. Look at this massive boat that he's building out here in the middle of nowhere. And he's talking about rain and floods, blah, 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 until that day when the rain started to fall and the rivers began to rise. The windows of the atmosphere opened up and the deluge occurred and only eight souls were saved after a response typically of blah, blah, blah. He says the same, just as it was then, is now. So God has warned us, you be faithful, you be fruitful, you get busy, you care about what you're doing. And so many people today, blah, blah, blah. There goes that preacher again, rambling on, blah, 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 repent, repent, get busy, go to work, blah, blah, blah. Please, church, do not become apathetic. Do not get to the point where you just don't care. And then, according to this text, we waste the ground by being unfruitful. I mean, we've been talking about that along, but he says if it bears fruit, well. If it bears fruit after not having borne fruit for three years, if it comes along with this extension and it bears the fruit, great, peace, wonderful. I'm rooting for it, yay! But if it doesn't, cut it down. Wait a minute. You, you go from, on one hand, to such mercy and grace. You've allowed it to go on and you are cheering it on. Yes, it's going to be a fruit. We're so happy. How can you go from that to not just say, well, uh, okay, you know, we'll give it another year and another year and another. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not going to be an open-ended opportunity. I have no idea how many opportunities I have. I may have hundreds and hundreds. I could think back in my lifetime. Now, you know I'm a preacher. I hear preaching. <laughs> but I always tell you, I preach to myself before I ever preach to you. So let's just put it that way. I've heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons. But what if hearing them, I just, you know, never respond. I, I never change. How long will the Lord wait on that? In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I want everlasting life. Then you can't continue to try and reap out of material, physical things. If that's where your heart is, that is a futile endeavor. It has got to be a primarily spiritual endeavor in order for it to reap eternal rewards. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one will receive in the flesh according to the things that he has done in the flesh, whether, whether good or bad. Whatever Good, you're going to receive judgment according to that reward. Bad, you receive. In other words, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Let's be honest with ourselves. If I were to ask, 
Nobody else knows, just between God and I, what do I deserve? Maybe we're thinking, Lord, can I have one more year? Can I have one more opportunity? In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, here's a stark reality. The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. It isn't like, okay, so we come to the end, and we are judged, and we're judged honestly and harshly for our failure to repent and change, to bear fruit. We are punished harshly for that. That's not God's fault. God says, my hands aren't so short I can't reach you. My ear isn't so weak that I can't hear what you're saying. I know. And if given the opportunity, I would extend to you. But it isn't me. It's you. It's your sin. It's your wickedness. I can't reach out to you. When you, by your actions, not godly works, but sinful works, because of that, you are standing in the way of your own deliverance. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, a different, a different context, but the ultimate statement is true, where it says that the times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's, that's pretty simple. So, I, I'm thinking, as regards the parable... We are wasting, we are using up the ground, using up God's valuable resources that he would rather have spent on something else when we're complacent, when we're settled and satisfied. We're also using it up when we're apathetic, when we get to the place we just don't care. And certainly that's true. I mean, it's the import of the whole parable that we're using up that ground and wasting it when we're unfruitful. Now, here's the thing with opportunities. We don't know how many of them that we have. I do know that we may have other opportunities, but we'll never have this opportunity again. And this right here is an opportunity to begin this week repentant. I can be assured of moving forward in God's good graces if, in fact, I am complacent and apathetic and fruitless, that today I repent of it because I will have responded to the last opportunity that the Lord gave me. And he says, that's good. If you're a child of God today and you need to respond in that kind, then please do. If you're not a child of God today and you need to obey the gospel, then know that when you do, God will plant you in his church and you will have every spiritual blessing at your disposal. Not just salvation of your soul, which will be initiated at that moment, but of a lifetime of blessings in fellowship with him and his church. If there's anybody who needs to respond today for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
13. Take the Lord's Supper. If you haven't got your communion package, just raise your hand and the usher will bring you one. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He said he wouldn't drink, uh, eat again until he'd done it in his kingdom. And we're in his kingdom today. When we read in Acts uh, Act 27, where they came together to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, and each week had the first day. Let's bow up and give thanks for the bread. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks for this Lord's day, for this time to gather around and take of this bread, which does represent the body of Christ, Father. We pray, Father, that we take of this in a way that it be acceptable unto thee. In Christ's name, amen. Let us also give thanks for the cup. Father in heaven, we also give that thanks for this cup, which does represent the blood that Christ shed there on that cross. We pray, Father, that we'll take it away, be in a way of be pleasing unto Thee, in Christ's name, Amen.
I conclude the Lord's Supper also in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. The, the church was ordered to ask to give upon the first day of the week. And uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it be done with a cheerful heart. We have plates each door, or you can give it through the different means, you know. That we have the opportunity now. Good morning. Glad that everyone is with us this morning. We have 101 in attendance this morning. I do not have a lot of extra announcements, but do be mindful of the prayer list that's in your bulletin there on the back of the pew in front of you. It's, it's rather lengthy on there, so be sure that you are aware of that. I uh, do want to remind everyone that tonight, all adult classes will be back in, in the annex at 5 tonight. We'll have a guest speaker, so be sure that you remember that. Also, in our closing prayer, I, I'm going to include this. Uh, the note they handed to me was uh, to put the Sue Dillard family in our prayers. This is Lisa Horn's mother. Uh, the message we got that she's fading fast, so she quite well may be in the last hour. So let's keep that family in her prayers. If you will, bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another opportunity we've had to come and worship you and song and praise. Father, we thank you for your church here at Boonville and what it represents and what it means to us. Father, we ask that as a congregation that we all may continue to strive to spread your word and introduce those that don't know your word into the gospel. Father, we thank you so much for these three this morning that's come forward and ask for prayers and ask to be uplifted. Father, help us to do our duties to motivate them and use them as motivations for ourselves. Father, we especially lift up prayers for the Sue Dillard family. Father, we ask that you be with them in the upcoming times that decisions will have to be made and obstacles will have to be overcome. Father, we ask that you lay a blessing on them and help them to lean on you for guidance. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross that we might have forgiveness of our sins and opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. It's through his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. 